ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله ونبيه وصفيه وحبيبه بلغ الرساله وادى الامانه ونصح للامه وجاهد في سبيل الله حتى اتاه اليقين وتركنا على المحجه البيضاء ليلها كنهارها لا يزيغ عنها الا هالك فاللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الاولين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الاخرين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملا الاعلى الى يوم الدين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في كل وقت وحين وعلى اله الاطهار وعلى اصحابه الاخيار وعلى اتباعه الابرار الى يوم الدين يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وبعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وان خير الهدي هدي سيدنا ومولانا رسول الله وان شر الامور لمحدثاتها فكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار if you lived at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam things islamic would be easy for you because if you had a question you would go and ask the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as the revelation was still being revealed Sorry. the quran was coming piecemeal so you just listen if you didn't understand a verse you would ask the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or you would ask some of the sahaba that knew the matters of tafsir but after the death of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that that ended of course so the community they had to start to figure things out that maybe before they had assumed maybe before they had taken for granted so for example in the beginning of the revelation the people that the quran was revealed to the majority of them were arabs and arabs that spoke pure arabian arabic one of the main dialects of arabic at that time so they would understand when there were different words in the quran that maybe today we debate they understood what these words meant but there were non arabs right there was bilal from uh, abyssinia there was suhaib the roman there was salman the persian they were not all arabs and now the majority of muslims the vast majority of muslims are not arabs and at the time as more non arabs became muslim they started to realize oh we need to to teach people how to speak we need to teach people how to understand the words the grammar of the words so the word itself the mufradat the words itself we have the ma'ajim we have the dictionaries 
the words in the sentence, we have nahu, we have grammar. The sentences as they relate to each other, we have balagha, we have rhetoric. The verbs as they conjugate, we have sarf, we have morphology. These did not exist at the time of the Prophet ﷺ in those names, but they existed because people, they spoke Arabic naturally, they, they understood how to speak. So after the, the passing of the Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims, they needed to figure some of these things out. But this was not necessarily a source of anxiety for them. Because they knew where they were going, and they knew where they had to go, they knew where the destination is. And this is one of the interesting things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an. You know, if we could have a billboard, this is what I would put on the billboard. فَأَيْنَ تَذْهَبُونَ Where are you going? إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا ذِكْرٌ لِلْعَالَمِينَ Indeed, the Qur'an, the revelation, the Prophet this is a remembrance for everybody. So Allah asks rhetorically, where are you going? To the people that do not believe, to the people that argue, to the people that disbelieve in the message of the Prophet Allah asks them rhetorically, then where are you going? If you do not accept this as truth, if you do not accept this message, if you do not accept the prophecy of the Prophet then where are you going? What are you going to do with your life? But for the believer, they always know where they're going. I always find this interesting, the, the concept of direction in Islam. As Islam spread physically from the Arabian Peninsula, the Muslims, they had to figure out how to pray, where to pray, the times of prayer, the times of fasting, wherever they were. But it wasn't a source of anxiety. If you look at all of the masajid that were created in the first century of Islam across North Africa and then westward and then eastward, there's no mosque, for example, that they got the qibla wrong, that they happened to be praying to the North Pole or something like that. Maybe... Maybe the mosques were off a little bit because the modern Muslim mind has been occupied by the engineering mind. So we think that everything has, you know, we take out the compass and it's got to be exactly to the degree. Okay, so maybe there's a variance. But what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? Place your face towards the masjid, towards Mecca. And the fuqahat, they know from the section of tahara in fiqh that the wajh, is from this to this. So any part of your face that faces the qibla, you're okay. So you have like a 45 degree variance. So other than the variance, okay, there's no mosque. You will not find a mosque that the Sahaba built, that the Tabi'i, you will not find a mosque that doesn't face Mecca. Because they knew the direction that they had to go. And whatever sciences and whatever mathematical computations they had to acquire, whatever skills they needed to learn that, they learned that in the name of Islam in the name of the religion and the Muslims encountered all sort of weird geography so they figure out how do we fast when there's no sun how do we fast when there's only sun how do we fast when the day is long how do we pray in these odd places because this is not what we experienced in Arabia so the Muslims always knew physically where to face there was no uh, seismic, uh, there was no schism in the early Muslim community, for example, on the Qibla or the times of prayer. They didn't have to argue because they understood where they, what they had to do. They went somewhere new, they build a mosque, it's got to face Mecca, we have the five prayers, these are the conditions for the prayer, the zawal, the, the shadow being twice the length of the object minus the, the dhil zawal, you know, the, the shadow at the time of the apex of the sun, so on and so forth. And they carried on their life. And they were confident. And because of this, 
the Muslims in the early generation moving forward were obsessed with the concept of principles. Because Islam is a first principle system of thinking. At the time of the Prophet as we said, you had a question you would ask. After the passing of the Prophet after the passing of the Sahaba, after the passing of the Tabi'in, all of these generations that were so close to that original revelation, that original period, new things emerged that didn't emerge at the time of the Prophet So as they encountered these things, the Muslims, they didn't sort of, you know, freak out. Because they said, okay, we have a set of principles. We can understand how to deal with this because we go back to our principles. Any subject that you study under the umbrella of Islamic sciences has principles. Grammar, qawa'ad al-nahw, the principles of grammar. Hadith, qawa'ad al-hadith. Tafsir, qawa'ad al-tafsir. Fiqh, qawa'ad al-fiqh. Usul al-fiqh, qawa'ad usul al-fiqh. Tasawuf, qawa'ad al-tasawuf. Every single subject, the ulama were obsessed with compiling all of these first principles to teach their generation and those after them this is why we derive this ruling and that ruling. You go back to these principles. If you have these principles, you won't be lost. If you have these principles, you won't freak out. You won't have a nervous breakdown because you know there is a rhyme and there is a reason to why we think this way, we do this and we do that. Now it's interesting, the person that has these principles, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in the Qur'an, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ The servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they walk on the earth softly. And when somebody ignorant engages them, they say peace. You know, I love this verse, because it teaches us the character of the person that's confident, the character of the believer is somebody who's calm, somebody who's composed, meaning somebody who is confident. They're confident in what they believe in. They are confident in their practice. I mean, do you stand and pray, for example, and I'm asking this rhetorically, and the whole prayer you're wondering if you're facing Mecca? Has this, does this occur to a normal Muslim? Do you walk into the mosque and say, hmm, I wonder, is this right? No, you just walk in and you pray. You trust that this is the way of Mecca. When you walk in or the mu'adhin stands and makes the adhan, for example in Ramadan, are you wondering, is it really maghrib? Is it really, I don't know, let me, let's go outside and analyze. Let's, let's fly a kite and see if the string, no, you don't do that. The adhan, Allahu Akbar, boom, you start eating. You're confident. But if your whole life is infused with these principles, then your whole self, you become confident. Why does the confident person walk quietly or peacefully because they have no need to advertise their confidence because they're self-confident. The confidence is on the inside. They're not always yapping about how confident they are. It's on the inside. It's an internal quality. And then when the stupid person starts talking, they say, okay, you know, peace. See you later. Because they're ignorant. They don't have the capacity to understand and then, you know, in Islam we have multiple kinds of jahl, multiple kinds of ignorance. There is al-jahl al-basit, simple ignorance. Which is when you know that you don't know something. When you ask and you say, you know, I don't know. That's good, because you acknowledge your deficiency. But that there's jahl al-murakkab, there is compounded ignorance. You are ignorant of your own ignorance. So when this person is ignorant of their own ignorance, starts yapping and starts yelling and starts throwing a tantrum, 
the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ibadur Rahman, the servant of the merciful one, they say, oh, peace. There's, 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 I'm not going to get anywhere with this person. Because they are not allowing themselves to comprehend and to understand. So these principles have engendered in the community a generational confidence. A confidence of our acts of worship. A confidence in our devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A confidence in even our secular life. That we understand that we have to work and we have to earn a living and we have to give and we have to support our family. And these are all prophetic qualities. These are not qualities of a low person. These are the qualities of Sayyidina Muhammad You know the famous story when the three Sahaba, they got together and they said, you know, one person said, I'm, I'm always going to fast every single day. I'm never going to break my fast all year round. And the second person, he said, you know, for me, I'm going to stay up all night and pray. I will never sleep, even though the Qur'an, as we heard before Jummah, says, you know, recite the Qur'an in prayer some of the night. Nisfahu, awzid alayhi, you know, half of it or a little bit more. tartila. No, they said, I'm going to all night. And then the third person says, as for me, I will never be married. I will be celibate. You know, I'll live this monastic life. And the Prophet overheard them. And he said, as for me, I fast sometimes and I break my fast sometimes. I pray some of the night, but I sleep the rest of the night. And I marry and I have children. But what did he say to conclude all of this? He says, مَنْ رَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّتِي Whoever goes away desirous from my sunnah, they are not from me. Because the Prophet ﷺ was balanced. He worked, he earned a living, you know, before the prophecy of course. He had children, he raised them, he worked in the house. He took care of his own personal needs. He would mend his sandals and he would sew his clothes. Sallallahu alayhi wa Kana fi khidmati ahli. He was in the service of his family. Where the family was working, his hands were working. So we, this gives us confidence. We understand that this is the sunnah of life. Why am I saying all of this? Because when you come and you look at people that have taken this religion as a cause for hatred, violence, extremism, you will find that this quality does not exist. Their confidence is shattered, which is why they are always yelling. If you see their pronouncements and you see their videos, or if you have the unfortunate experience of actually interacting with them, they're always yelling, they're always screaming. But Allah says, عِبَادُ الرَّحْمَنِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنًا They walk quietly and softly because they are confident. They don't need to yell and scream. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not deaf that we have to yell and scream. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not far that we have to project our voice out. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ Allah is near. وَنَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبِلِ الْوَرِيدِ We are closer to him than his own jugular. Allah ta'ala says, and when you read some of what they write, they have no principles. They have no uh, overarching framework to the way that they think. Which is why the people that counter what they write, they, they always approach it from the point of view, they say, تَدَاقُدَات They're inconsistencies. Nobody in the history of Islam has written a book called تَنَاقُدَات al-Bukhari. 
the inconsistencies of Imam al-Bukhari. Because Imam al-Bukhari, he had a methodology of how to collect, in his opinion, the most authentic hadith. You will have an istidraq ala al-Bukhari. Later people like al-Bayhaqi, they will say, okay, you know, Imam al-Bukhari, jazahallah kulli khair, he, he missed a few hadith that follow his criteria. So I'm going to add them into the collection. So we add, because Imam al-Bukhari is a human being. He could make a mistake, right? He, he could have not known those hadith. But you will never find anyone say, this is the tanaqudat, this is the inconsistencies of Imam al-Bukhari. These are the inconsistencies of Imam al-Shafi. These are the inconsistencies of Imam Abu Hanifa. You don't find that. All you find is that they set principles, and then generation after generation, till this day, build on those principles. So when you build, you have a structure, you have a school, you have a way of thinking, a philosophy, a way of life, sulukiyat, a way to carry out your life, and you're confident. But when you cut those principles out of your Islam life, then you walk around blind, deaf and blind, and you create havoc, and you create mischief, and you create bloodshed, and you create hatred. You do not know how to live with other people. And you yourself, you become inconsistent. You yourself become lacking in self-confidence. But the person that has confidence is not worried. The people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have no fear. They have no anxiety. Because they're confident. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Oftentimes life can be challenging. But the person that attaches themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the way of the Prophet they are the, the person of gratitude. Because they see everything that they have. It's not that the glass is half full versus half empty. It's all they see is abundance. Because Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِن اللَّهِ لَا تَحْسُوهَا If you come to enumerate the blessings we have, you will not be able to enumerate it. And Allah promises, وَلَئِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ If you are grateful, I will give you more. So the person that is with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is calm, composed, confident, grateful, living in abundance no matter what their condition is. You know, all of the people that I studied with, with the exception of very few, they were all people that we would put in the category of poor, materially. They did not have resources. But when you would sit with them, you would feel that you were the poor person. From their generosity and from their love and from their gratefulness and their gratitude, you know, to spend time with people like us and to take time out of their schedules to teach people like us, with nothing in return, absolutely nothing in return. You would feel that they were like, you know, you're in the, in the presence of like a king. You're in the presence of a prince. And Allah Ta'ala also talks about this quality, the people that they do not ask, even though that they need, and you think that they are wealthy. The muhajirun, when they came to Medina, they didn't, they didn't walk around the mosque like this, to the Medina, to the Ansar, saying, help me out. They knew that Allah would take care of them. The Prophet ﷺ put the brothers together and solved that problem, but they didn't ask. Because they were grateful, they were in living in abundance with what Allah Ta'ala had given them. Because they had first principles. They had these qawad that formed the way they think, that formed the way that they felt, that formed the way that they interacted with people. We have to go back to these principles. Desperately, we have to go back to these principles. And I do not mean we have to go back to these principles 
in an academic way. That's for the scholars. We have to go back to these principles in the way we deal with our life. We have to learn how to bring back this confidence, how to bring back this grateful state, how to bring back this happiness, how to bring back this abundance, how to bring back this calm and tranquility. And not be shaken by the things around us. You know, I'm always surprised. This last Ramadan particularly, there was so much online, there was so much venomous debate about baseless issues amongst our community in certain sections. In the month of Ramadan, you would think at least in the month of Ramadan we're, we're busy taking pictures of iftar and desserts and, or something, right? But no, we're fasting and we're starving and we're dying of thirst. And, but yet, we still have to argue with each other. We still have to fight. I never saw any of my teachers engage in any of these fights with people. And I, they have been really, really... One of my teachers was physically accosted in the mosque. And his eye was bleeding. And he patched his eye and he sat on the chair and he finished his dars. And that Friday, his whole Friday khutbah was about how we, the students, abused the attacker. And were not merciful with him. Because you can imagine if your teacher is accosted, what happened, all of the adab, everything that we're talking about goes out the window and, you know, you go into this fit of rage and it was not good for that person. And the whole khutbah was about how bad we acted. And these are humans, right? This is not the Prophet ﷺ. Can you imagine what it would have been like when the Prophet ﷺ was praying in front of the Kaaba and somebody threw trash on him? The Prophet ﷺ was cursed, yelled at, called a liar, a magician, a madman. And when they asked, the Sahaba asked them, asked the Prophet ﷺ to let them, allow them to take retribution, he said, no, you know, they're, they're cursing some guy named Mudhammam, but my name is Muhammad. No, maybe, la'allahu yusalli, leave him, maybe he prays. Maybe he prayed once in his life, and that prayer was, just leave him, salama, peace. Because the Prophet ﷺ was confident, his heart was with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't need to take this physical rage out. He didn't need to yell and curse and fight. The way we see so many people in, our, in the name of Islam, we don't, we don't need that if we're confident. And this is the confidence that we need. Aqulu qawli hadha. Wastaghfirullahu wa li wa lakum innahu al-qawfur rahim. Okay. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. This Sunday uh, is our our Eid potluck, so please RSVP for that. It's from 12 to 4. There will be a blood drive at the picnic, so come with your blood, inshallah. <laughs> My class tonight will be at 7:30, and it's going to be about this subject principles. This was like to encourage you to come to the class, inshallah. Tarif's uh, halaqa will be next week after Fajr on Sunday. We also need volunteers for Eid. The volunteers should come at 11. So there's a lot of young people. So I think the young volunteers is code for young people. So if you're young and walking and breathing, please come at 11 to volunteer, inshallah, for the picnic. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for our sins and our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people of principle, to make us people of love and tranquility. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our fast in the month of Ramadan and to accept our charity. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect our children, to bless our parents, to have mercy on those who have passed before us. 
فاللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عفيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا واصرف عنا شر ما قضيت اللهم تقبل صلاتنا وصيامنا وقيامنا وركوعنا وسجودنا يا أرحم الراحمين وانقلنا من دائرة سخطك إلى دائرة رضاك وافتح علينا فتوح العارفين بك واحشرنا تحت لواء نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم القيامة واسقني من يده الشريفة شرب ماء لا نظمأ بعدها أبدا ثم أدخلنا الجنة بغير حساب ولا سابقة عقاب ولا عتاب ومتعنا بالنظر إلى وجهك الكريم في جنات الخلد يا رحيم وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصل اللهم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وأقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا